Church History Matters, episode 38. Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of Church History Matters. My name is Ruben Rosales. And I'm Joseph Knowles. And we're back. We're back. Man, how long has it been? Uh, I think we did two episodes that came out in April. And we ain't going to make May. No, we're we? not going to make one gonna in May. May. Not, if we, huh. not if we stick with our usual Wednesday release date. Right, right, right. Yeah. I so, guess we're going to have to put out another one in June. Maybe so. Yeah. So... We'll see if we can make that happen. Maybe that topic JC sent us. Oh, yeah, that might be a good one. That'd be a good one to dig into. Yes, I got a lot a, of resources for that. Be cryptic about it. Yeah. You just have to wait and find out, listeners. Yeah. So, uh, before we get into what we're talking about this week, did you hate it? Uh, I do this have. This week in church history? Have this week in church history, right. yes. Um, we're recording on May, what is today, the 24th. And this should be, if I get all my editing done, uh, coming out on, on June 1st. This week in church history, on May 31st, 1843, there was a convention in, held in Utica, New York. And it was presided over by a man by the name of Orange Scott, which is an interesting name. Um, but he was, previous to that, a minister in the Methodist Church in the United States. But he was basically told to take a hike. And part of the reason was his anti-slavery views. Oh. So he'd, he'd come to those uh, probably about 10 years previously. Well, I thought a lot of Methodists were in anti-slavery. Yes. So, I mean, at the time, this hmm. would end up dividing the Baptists as well. Oh, right, right. In the 1830s, <laughs> to be anti-slavery and be vocal about it, yeah, that could cost you something. Right. And it cost him. Um, so he was basically told... You can ditch those views and some other stuff that he had, uh, but that was probably the big one. Or uh, you can get out. So he got out, uh, but in, on May 31st, 1843, he met with a number of other Methodist ministers um, who had been shown the door for basically the same reason. Hmm. And they established what they called at the time the Wesleyan Methodist Connection. So basically representatives from about 10 regions of the United States attended. Um, and they were explicitly anti-slavery, um, structured a little bit differently with without bishops and superintendents. So more like uh, the idea that John Wesley had back in England when the church first got started. And we talked about that a little bit on the two episodes yeah. we did on the Methodists. So go and check those out. Um, but May 31st, 1843 was when that church began. It still exists today, now known as the Wesleyan Methodist Church. I think about 1,700 congregations in the United States. So not not tiny. Nice. Um, uh, but they're still around. and They're distinct from the United Methodists. Correct. Yes, they remained. There were a lot of different branches that went apart and came back together and split off again. But they, yeah, they remained Didn't we have separate. a tree that we had that kind of showed that? I think we did, yeah. In the show notes? There was definitely one for, I know we, there's one I've seen for the Presbyterians, and we might have had one for the Methodists as well. Yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll have to dig that up. But anyway... Um, that's this week in church history, May 31st, 1843. Orange nice. Scott. All right. So what are we talking about today? Yes. Uh, so a while ago, 
long time ago, we did an episode on creeds and confessions, and we talked about some of the um, documents that came out of the Council of Nicaea, right. um, Chalcedon, those kind of things. Now we want to fast forward in history a little bit to another Council of Nicaea. Yeah, 787. This, yes. So we're talking about the 8th century here, and this is what came to be known in history as the second Council of Nicaea. And it's kind of a, an interesting reason that it was called. Um, mm-hmm. So to give you a little bit of background, remember that around about the 4th century, well, let me back up. First, some terminology. So because we're going to throw these terms yes. around. And uh, basically what the Second Council of Nicaea <laughs> concerns was the um, either known as the Byzantine iconoclasm or the iconoclastic controversy. Um, so what is an iconoclast? Might be a question. Maybe you've never heard that term before. Uh, a vandal. <laughs> In some ways, yeah. Um, I think now that would be how we would classify it because yeah. it, it would be, it is destruction right. of property, not yours. Yes. So it comes from t- the word, literally just two Greek words that are stuck together. One icon, meaning you know an image or mm-hmm. icon, uh, and the other meaning to break. So iconoclast literally would mean they're icon breakers. Right. Um, and yeah, icon is the Greek word meaning an image or resemblance. But then a couple other terms that we'll probably use, and these kind of are interchangeable, but one is iconodual, so it's the same word for icon there. But then the other word derives from doulos, doulos which is a word that you might recognize from uh, hearing it from the pulpit, but it just means servant. Um, so when you talk about an iconodual, those would be icon servers or icon venerators. Um, the other word is iconophile. So again, what does icon, venerate mean? Venerate, yeah, we'll get to that <clears> because <throat> in this context, it has kind of a, a a more technical definition. Right. I kind of feel I kind of feel a little bit. This it, I hate English, <laughs> but sometimes I think we can get into trouble. Not always, but it's important. I just listened to a Dr. Renahan talk about the importance of being careful in your theology yes. and making distinctions. Mm-hmm. So the use of our vocabulary is very important. Absolutely. But there are some who would do so in a way that I think is disingenuous. For mm. example, those who take the original words from the Greek and instead of translating it to worship, as almost every biblical scholar would, those in the Jehovah's Witness belief system would call it obeisance. Mm-hmm. They do obeisance. Right. And so I feel like that's kind of what's going on here with yeah. this talking about images of any, any a person of the Godhead mm-hmm. and then saying, well, we're not worshiping, we're just venerating. Right. Sh- yeah. Showing. Like, well, how do you distinguish those two? Yes. There, I mean, there is a distinction, but it's yeah. it's 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 kind of it's kind of blurry. Why would you want to make that distinction? Though? Right, another question. Yeah, but I, you know, I'm getting off topic. No, that's well, right. Not, a little, not off topic. <laughs> it's on topic. Just yeah, going down um, a rabbit hole. So the other <clears throat> term for those same that same group would be the iconophiles. Mm-hmm. Um, file there coming from phileo, which is one of the Greek words used in the Bible for love. So iconophiles would mean icon lovers and iconoclasm roughly translates to uh, the war on icons. And we'll get to at least one incident where that's that's li- very literal <laughs> in yeah. a literal sense. And then I guess more informally, the two sides of this uh, controversy had been referred to as 
kissers and smashers. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So kissers and smashers. That's because, probably what we'll call the episode. Yeah. They <laughs> kissers were, you know, that's what they would do. They would mm-hmm. show reverential consideration mm-hmm. to these images. Right. Um, I, I grew up seeing it in the Roman Catholic Church. The You know, the, the priest would come around and we'd sing the song opening. We'd have a procession and then he'd come while carrying the word, holding it up, would set it down on the altar and then kiss the altar and kiss the book, mm-hmm. kiss the Bible. Yeah. Or if they were walking around the, the chalice, which held uh, the Eucharist, the mm-hmm. Holy Eucharist, they would hold that up and, and they wouldn't even touch it with their hands, but mm. would wrap it with clothes, with their linen cloth, right. and then hold it. And then they would set it down, you know, just treating it with such reverence yeah. because of the way they understand the Eucharist to actually be the body of Christ. Right, yeah. So you definitely still see vestiges of some of this stuff that we're going to talk about in the Roman Catholic Church. But um, to give a little bit of the historical background before we actually get to Council of Nicaea, Second Council of Nicaea and some of their the canons that they came up with, remember that the Roman Empire <coughs> used to go you know, all the way from Spain to Syria. Um, but in the 4th century, um, so we're talking 300s, they basically split apart. So you have the Eastern Roman Empire and the rest Western Roman Empire. So by the time that we get to the time period that we're talking about, which is the eighth, starting in the 8th century, so the 700s. This is after the uh, Muslims yes. had come through. Yes. So you see the empire kind of shrink. So yeah. the Eastern Empire, which we would now call the Byzantine Empire or right. Byzantium, they just would have called themselves, well, we're the Roman Empire. Yeah. We're what's left of it. Right. Capital city of Constantinople, which is now Istanbul in Turkey, and sits on both sides of that strait there. So it's the, I believe it's still considered the largest city in Europe because of the part of it that sits on, you know, that western part of the, the strait. Right. Um, but yeah, like you, like you said, the empire begins to shrink, not only by, you know, the western being uh, overrun by the Vandals and the Goths and the Visigoths and all those guys, mm-hmm. but also in the East because, yeah, six and seven hundreds, you might remember from... Um, Episode 11. Yes, when we talked about the First Crusade, Islam is on the rise <clears> and they're <throat> sweeping westward and conquering lands and part of that gets up into the Byzantine Empire. Um, so that brings us to the year 717. An important guy for our story is uh, Leo the Third, also known as Leo the Syrian, and he becomes the emperor of the Byzantine Empire. Um, and he's important because apart from fighting the Muslims and kind of pushing them back a little bit, <clears throat> there was a, a, a period of a couple decades uh, where it's very unstable in the empire. But he brings more stability and goes so far, <laughs> maybe this is part of this ability. Yeah, <laughs> he says, I am both emperor and priest. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's, you know, it's hard to tell, you know, a, what are we, 1,300 years after the fact, yeah. exactly what's going on in his head, but maybe that ha- was part of the reason that he felt he had power over the church right? and leaves him or leads him to begin persecuting the iconoduals or the iconophiles, the people who um, were venerating these images. Were they really being persecuted, though? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, let's, <clears throat> let's keep going because... <laughs> He kind of is starting in seven seven twenty six. So he's been in there for all you know eight or nine years now. Um, there was a very prominent icon um, purporting to be a representation of Jesus Con- Christ. Constantine, right? Yeah, Constantine's son or something like that. That's yeah, what I heard. 
But yeah, supposedly it's, this is this picture of Jesus Christ. It was on the palace gate in Constantinople. And he said, he said, tells his soldiers, hey, <clears throat> go and take that thing down. Right. Um, and suffice it to say, this was not well received by the people. <laughs> so that's something else, right? Like, is that, right? Um, well, you and I would say, well, that's, and, and this, there's, there's a discussion to be had there. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I believe it is sin to make an image of, any person of the Trinity, right? Any person of the Godhead, um, that is sinful. Yeah, there's there's reasons that we can discuss uh, about that. Mm -hmm. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ who who confess Christ, who are walking by the Spirit as best they can to honor God. You know, is this uh, something that is worth separating over? Yeah, like I I think. It would matter on the person, right? Mm -hmm. If it if it grieves your conscience and they're using images in the in the worship mm -hmm. service, yeah, I think that you definitely should. If your conscience is grieved by that, and I think your conscience should be grieved by that, right? Um, because our God has commanded us in the second commandment to not make right. graven images, and that's something that gets discussed, you know, at length mm -hmm. at this council, right? Because they're saying, well, it's not graven. Right. Images. It's not a carved right. image. Image in the flat. Yeah. It, we'll get to that a little bit later. And um, so then I also have to say, like, what about, what are your thoughts on, on what Jeroboam, uh, Gideon, right? Okay. We call him Jeroboam because he went yeah, and yes, tore down. Yes, yes, He smashed the idols. Right, right. Yes. Right? The original iconoclast. Yes. <laughs> right. So, I mean, he was destroying property that was not his own. Yes. But it was his father's problem. that's true it was that's right yeah. it was his father's a very good I mean, that might be distinction without a difference yeah but it's like it's still not his <clears throat> but it's in his household sure it's within his household and it's also important to understand like those were not images that they were calling god right they were not calling that the god of israel yahweh they were yeah. calling they were just lower g lowercase g gods mm -hmm. that they had and were worshiping right so there's probably a distinction to be made there that they would have discussed at this council also. Yeah. So it's a big it's a big conversation. Right. Is oh yeah. I'm, is my point. Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. And uh, as you know, it didn't go didn't go so well with Gideon. Um, no, it did not. If I remember, he had to go and hide. I don't remember all all the details, but I I remember it. It was like, oh, I'm. A... They wanted to they wanted to stone him. Right. And yes. then his dad was like, hey, let Baal contend for himself. Right. Yeah. Like, that's hey, right. You know. There's no need for us to, if yeah. your God is God, then let him do something. Yep. So Gideon made some people mad and uh, Leo Third made some people mad because what happens is they the soldiers go to take down this icon and they take it down, uh, but they're mobbed by a group of enraged women. Feminists. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just says it's a group of a group of women. They mob the officer in charge and they beat him to death with mops and My kitchen tools. My goodness. Yes. So... These iconophiles there in Constantinople took this very seriously, um, and I can't they were just this yeah. dude got bodied by women. <laughs> what well, was a mob? Yeah, I mean, I guess next so. time send more soldiers, Leo. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, Goodness. but that was, I mean, that ended up being the least of his problems because there was this one mob in Constantinople. But what it and he ordered them to be executed. Yeah. Um, but what it led to <clears> was <throat> just demonstrations throughout the empire. Like you've got. There were still some Italian provinces in and around what's now Venice um, that were under Byzantine rule, and they rebelled. And that was kind of the, one of the things that got the Venetian Republic started. So essentially they formed um, a, a riot and, and an organization called uh, 
Icono Duels Lives Matters. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> <clears throat> um, at a certain point, the Pope gets involved, uh, the Bishop of Rome, and he, he says, no, the Icono Duels are doctrinally correct on right. their position, um, which is interesting because this really was an issue only in the Eastern. It was much more of an issue in the Eastern Church than it was in the church in and around Rome. Rome, right. Yeah. So for the Pope to get involved, it's kind of like, what are you guys... Of course they're right. Come on, what's the what's the big deal? Um, and they didn't really have as fully developed a position. Um, so this is also a point of, of, of contention or, or discussion with regards to the numbering of the commandments mm-hmm. for the Roman Catholic Church oh, right. versus the Protestant mm-hmm. uh, num- numeration of, of right. the commandments. Uh, they would count uh, the, the making of graven images, I think, as, as part of the first commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than having it the second commandment. Right. Um, so that, that makes it a little bit interesting. Yeah. That's very similar to um, one of my law professors who was a uh, Messianic Jew. Mm. Um, but they count. They would say, I am the Lord thy God. That's the first, first commandment. commandment. Yeah. And then the second commandment is, you shall have no other gods. And uh, also, you shall not make any grave images. Mm. So they roll those both mm. into the second commandment. Which... I. You can read them as like, okay, sure. Uh, you could look at it that way and say they're, they're, they're talking about the same thing, and one is a particular application, I guess, is how they get there. But yeah, right, yeah, yeah. But but so it makes a point to say like, okay, they would, you know, you could argue, well, Gideon was right because those were other gods, mm-hmm. and they were violating the commandment, right? But to make an image of the right god, yes, that is not a violation, of the right? Commandment. Yeah, they definitely make that. That argument. So there's a there's a couple. I mean, the persecution of the Iconodules continues under Leo, um, then under his son Constantine V, who actually calls a council and says, "No, oh, no, condemning the use of icons, like all that persecution. Like I got my this council to sign off on it." And basically, everybody says, "Well, yeah, you did, but you didn't invite anybody who disagreed <laughs> with you. So big deal." And especially there were no delegates from uh, sent by the Bishop of Rome. Mm. So they said, "Well." No good because you didn't invite anybody from the West and all the Iconodu bishops were kind of left out in the cold. So right. big deal. Hmm. You stacked the deck. Then the next one, uh, a couple emperors later, is Constantine the Sixth. He's actually young, very young at the time. I don't remember the exact age. Um, so his mother, Irene, is ruling as a regent for him. And she, she, he, he calls a council because she was doing it for him. In right. 787, uh, but this time uh, the it's Hadrian or Hadrian the first is the pope, and he does send some delegates. So that would at least provisionally make it binding, air quotes here, binding on the churches in the east as well as in the west under right. Rome. It's interesting. Do you think this council absolutely needed to happen? Yeah, I think I think you've got. A dispute within the church and mm-hmm. the the other kind of issue under the surface is what started back with leo which is saying i'm the emperor and i get to say what the church does too right so i i, I mean i don't think they completely resolved that piece of it right but it it was it, it the church needed to say here's what the church is going to do right and so from that from that perspective yeah i think they needed to get together and say hey let's let's solve this let's determine what we believe that scripture teaches on this and all get on the same page. 
Okay. And maybe not have the emperor coming in and smashing up our stuff because right. he disagrees with us. Kind of like how, you know, the UK told the Presbyterians to convene and <laughs> create like a, you know, kind of like that. No. A Westminster <laughs> Confession. Not at all like that. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, like we, I mean, we said at the beginning, this is the second council that would meet at Nicaea. Um, so that's there in what's now modern day Turkey. Yeah. Um, the first council is best known for the Nicene Creed. And it's also where the uh, the folks split off uh, in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, right. which we covered also in a previous ep- uh, episode. Yes. Um, the monophysitism and uh, I can't remember the other part. The Miaphysites. That's the one, yeah. The Miaphysites. Yeah. The one nobody knows about. The one I yeah. didn't certainly didn't know right. about no, before. Right, yeah, for sure. Go check that episode yeah. out. And that's going to come up again when we get a little bit further down here. But uh, this council in the year 787 is kind of regarded as the last of the so-called ecumenical councils. So the one that's most universal, the, the last of the one that's of the councils that are most universally recognized by a majority of Christians. Right. Yes. There were others that the Roman Catholic Church would say, these are ecumenical councils, too, because right. we say so and we're Rome. Right. <laughs> they They kind of did the same thing. They're like, we're only going to bring people who agree with us yeah yeah, yeah. nobody so, else is invited to the table <laughs> yeah um so i the empress irene is a strong iconodual so she supports that position and it's not really much of a surprise that again council is filled with delegates that supported that position and guess what they come down on her side <laughs> mm, interesting well but in spite of that so the council makes their decision they come down to say yes icons are good to go go ahead and use them right but the army who had been loyal to Leo and the other previous emperors were still full of iconoclasts. Um, so <laughs> Irene is deposed, is like, get out of there. And the persecution just picks up again in spite of what the council had had. Uh, this had is some said. time later. Right, yeah. So it or, ke- For some time later. Right, it keeps yeah. going till... 843. Yes, when another empress acting as regent for a, a, an emperor who was too young to rule for himself uh, calls another council and they reaffirm what had been held at Second Council of Nicaea. So this is a recount. Yeah. Basically. We got it right the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So now this, I, there's actually a feast day for this. Um, well, no, excuse funny, me, not actually. a feast day. It's it's a commemoration Commemorate, day. Yeah. Um, because they're not feasting during Lent, I'm sure. Um, but Eastern Orthodox Lent, the first Sunday is commemorated. They commemorate the defeat of the iconoclasts in what they call either the Feast of Orthodoxy or the Triumph of Orthodoxy. Hmm. Which is interesting. It like, is interesting. We don't have anything that's named that cool. The, the Feast of Orthodoxy. <laughs> the Triumph of Orthodoxy. Yeah. So that's kind of the the um, the main historical part of it. But yeah, we want to talk about what they uh, what it was that they decided. So we already said they come down. Ruling in favor of the Akan right. Jules, which yes. is uh, unfortunate. Yes. So... So that's another question. It's like, okay, so what happens then when a group of churches get what we believe to be the the wrong decision? They get, yeah, they get it wrong. Right. So what does that mean? If you have, if you have uh, what I think is the uh, correct ecclesiology, then you know that's that's fine. Your group of churches got together over there, and that's what you're going to do, and you're going to cooperate in that. Right. But that doesn't affect us over here, who mm-hmm. we're not involved in that, and we're free to disagree and do what we think the Bible requires because each congregation is not 
I mean, in a sense, we are accountable to one another. Sure. But not in a hierarchical way. Right. Where like, oh, well, we have to submit our decision to this other higher authority. It's like, no, there's right. no higher authority. There's the church and there's Jesus and right. that's it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's interesting. And it does, this really does, I mean, it does dive into ecclesiology and um, there are, I believe, four predominant views, uh, Episcopal, mm-hmm. um, Presbyterian, and then you have single elder mm-hmm. rulership, and then you have multiple elder rulership, right. which I think multiple elders is probably the most biblical, right. second by uh, Presbyterianism, mm-hmm. if I had to choose one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you must choose. Yeah. And then all the other ones are just bunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we they would can still show call their, them. They can sure. show their work. Sure. They yeah. can show their work. I mean, there are probably some brothers and sisters in Christ who hold to that. I mean, Absolutely. That's fine. Absolutely. So a summary of what the council decided, um, and this is coming. And, and again, I refer to the Catholic Encyclopedia here, not because I agree with them <clears> on everything, but they have, I mean, they've got pretty extensive uh, stuff on a lot of this, and sometimes you can't do better than the way they summarize it. In any event, uh, they summarize it this way: uh, the council held that images are to receive veneration, proskenesis, not adoration, latria. The honor paid to them is only relative, for the sake of their prototype. So, you can do images in church as part of the worship service. They would say, but you gotta only venerate them, not adore them. And if that sounds confusing, congratulations, yeah. <laughs> because it's it's kind of a difficult one to, to tease apart. Um, one of the examples or the analogies that I saw, and I think this was on the same website, was they would say, you love your wife, but you might have a picture of her in your wallet. Mm. And you would, you would, I mean maybe not in your wallet, on your phone or whatever, right. but you're going to take care We're of that. We're in the 21st century, Joseph. Yeah, Come I know. On. Sorry. <laughs> Nobody has pictures in their wallet anymore. Um, but they would say, you don't, you don't love the picture. You right. love the person who is represented by the picture. And so you will treat that picture well. And you might pull it up and look at it. And it will remind you of your wife and the love that you have for her. I mean, as analogies go, I guess that's okay. But I think you start running into... Some problems, pretty of categories. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There were a lot. There were twenty-two canons that came out of this. Yes. Out of this council, and we'll we'll probably read through a few of those. Yeah. Uh, at the end here, but yeah, there was in growing up, there was an hour of adoration, where they would. Oh man, this is so. The Roman Catholic Church, what they'll do is they'll have the. There's a certain thing that happens in this in the mass. When the priest says a certain um, certain uh, specific words and, and lifts up the Holy Eucharist, mm-hmm. that it becomes the body of Christ. Right. Right. So they take that piece, they use it for the for the mass, they, they share communion. And then after that, they take a piece of that, that it has to have been a piece from that service or whatever. And they'll put that in the tabernacle and they'll have sometimes this uh, hour of adoration. Mm hmm where they will take that piece and they'll put it in a in this glass thing. It's like a circular thing and it's gold. Mm-hmm. So all the light reflects off right. of it, right? And it's got jewels yep. and everything. It's very, very beautiful piece of, uh, I don't know, whatever you would call it. And so they put that out on the altar and you come out and you just adore it. You worship mm-hmm. it. And you, you can look up. There's people who, if there's a bit of wine that is spilled, 
they'll be over there praying over it. Nuns mm. and or the laity will be over there yeah. because they're like, oh, the blood of Christ has just been spilled right on the ground. Yeah. So it's it's really really odd, you know, looking back to that mm-hmm. and and having a right understanding of the second commandment, understanding that our Lord desires worship in spirit and in truth, um, and not through means, you know, such as this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, it kind of trying to walk through what are some of the what were some of the primary arguments of the the two groups, the iconoclasts, the iconophiles on both sides? And the Eucharist is actually one of them. The iconoclasts would say, well, that is a visible image of Christ, and right. that is permissible because right. God commands it. Right. But otherwise, they would say, what's our argument? Our argument is the second commandment. <laughs> yes. God says, don't make any images. Case closed. There's nothing left to say. But they would say, we can do the ones that are... The, obviously the communion which is commanded of scripture they sure. would say we can do the sign of the cross not a crucifix right because the cross is just a piece of wood sure. and it's a representation but once you put the a figure of a person on there now you're representing right uh, a picture a person of the godhead and you can't do that right and they also include the cairo which is the two greek letters that um, represents the name of christ on the other hand and you do have um, some famous iconodule guys, they basically make the same argument that you brought up before, which is they say, well, the second commandment does forbid, forbid making of images, but that only means images of false gods. Mm-hmm. We're not making images of false gods. We're making images of Christ, and he is the embodiment of truth. So therefore, this is we're not violating the second commandment. But are you with it? Yeah. Are you <laughs> making images? You're making images of a person, but right? Do you I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just, I mean, there's so much that you could get wrong of mm-hmm. it. And one of the things that I said to my wife was, it's just disrespectful to even try mm-hmm. because I don't know what it looks like. So it's like one thing if, if you have, um, you know, say if someone wants to say, well, I'm honoring God by making this image of him and that's how I'm giving him glory. I'm like, yeah, but you, you doing that is doing it. It's as if somebody were to take a piece of fe- fecal matter and create some form out of it and say, Hey, look here, I made a picture of you. Like right. that's offensive. Yeah. Don't do that. That's yeah. not me. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare you? Yep. And yet we do it with, you know, porcelain, which we use to make toilets mm-hmm. and we call it, Oh, but it's an in the image of Christ. Well, no, it's not. You have no idea what he looked like. Yeah. So why are you trying? Yeah. Um, and I think we, we mentioned this one earlier. They also would say the icon of duels would distinguish between icons and idols. So, well, the second commandment talks about, carved images, graven images. Right. And there's more danger of people turning that into an idol and giving it improper worship. But they said, well, God sanctioned the use of images in the Old Testament. So if you look at this description of the tabernacle, like the Ark of the Covenant itself, there's angels on there. That's an image. An image from heaven. Right. Yes. Right. Which is Um, very specific to the second commandment. Right. right? So they point like there's pomegranates that you're supposed to weave into things. There's uh, pictures in the and some of the uh, tapestries, um, and they point at that. And they also then say, well, even, you know, the Jews performed acts of reverence toward the Ark of the Covenant by bowing to it. So they point back to Joshua uh, chapter 7, where it's after the defeat at Ai, mm-hmm. and he falls down on his face before the Ark, mm-hmm. which was the actual presence of God, right. <laughs> not the object itself. So I think that, yeah, it, 
they're kind of like semi-plausible arguments and then you start to think about it a little bit and like mm, i don't know i don't think that works actually right. like it's very uh superficial and then yeah again they say we're not well i guess that's where the example that i brought up comes in it was like we're not worshiping the icon itself we're worshiping the person that it represented and that is just something to help us focus our worship so there's a guy yeah i remember hearing i remember hearing that yeah. explanation when i was in the Roman Catholic Church. Yep. So there's a guy, uh, Leontius of Neapolis. He was a bishop in the seventh century in Cyprus. Um, but he says, he writes, when I worship the icon of God, I am not worshiping the nature of the wood and the colors, God forbid, but holding to the non-living portrait of Christ, I intend through it to hold and worship Christ himself. So you can kind of see where they... It at least sounds like they mean well. Sure. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not wrong. <laughs> right. No, yeah. So they're just sincerely wrong. Right. Right. Yes. No, they they believe fully that what they're doing is is right and good and yeah, it's it's a difficult conversation to have because there are brothers and sisters that I know who have absolutely no problem whatsoever of, you know, watching uh movies right. that depict or or you know, TV shows. Right. I mean, we can just say the one that's prominent now yeah. in 2022. You want to, let's go back. Let's go back in time to 2004. The Passion of the Passion Christ. Passion of Christ. That's fine. I can, I and can. I went and I went and saw that movie in the theater. In the theater. Okay. Um, that was, was back in the PCC days, though, right? It was like a day after the PCC days <laughs> had ended. Um, like literally the day after, not maybe the actual literal day after graduation, but my grandparents had come down. Okay. And it was still out in the theaters then. And uh, this was even after I think they preached a sermon about why you shouldn't go to see it. And their oh. reasons, their reasons for not doing it were not the reasons because that I would give it now. it was made by a Roman Catholic? Well, that, that wasn't the primary one. The oh, primary okay. one was like, it's in the theaters and we, go, we don't go to the theaters. Oh, wow. Like, uh, okay. But I didn't agree with that at the time. Right. But that's the rule. So I was going to abide by it. Okay. But then when I graduated, I was like, well, I'm going to go see it now. And. Uh, my grandparents had come down for uh, to be a, my graduation, so they went with me to okay. see it. And I believe they said that was the first time they had been inside a movie theater in 50 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, if I had it to do over again, you know, knowing what I know now about visible representations of Christ, I would say, well, I'm glad that, you know, this filmmaker wants to try to do something good, but right. I don't think they're doing it in a way that, that actually honors Christ by you know having Jim Caviezel dress up in a tattered robe. Yeah, because then other folks are like, oh, but what about people who read? And when they read, they form images in their minds, yes. and so they they're oh, reading yeah. the Gospels and they're yeah, picturing yeah. it in their mind. Is that sin? And let's go there. Yeah, because that was that was actually another argument that's brought up by uh, John of Damascus, who mm. was kind of one of the main iconodule figures. Yeah. And he he flat out said almost almost word for word what you just said. He said, <laughs> "What the written word is to those who can read, the icon is to the illiterate. Mm. What speech is to the ear, the icon is to the eye." Um, so they're saying, "Well, is there any really different, any significant like right. difference between you're painting a mental picture with your words, right, or you paint a picture on a piece of wood and hang it up in in the uh, in the in the church?" Right. But well, yeah, there is <laughs> like it's it's a, a, a car, not a carved image, but it's a physical representation. Right. So that's that's the difference. I mean, I think they're they're uh, the instinct to say we also should be very careful about using our imagination to create images. Yeah. 
Um, and that's a harder one to do, especially with all of the well, pictures a, that are floating out there. Here's a really interesting thing is that not everyone who reads something forms pictures in their minds. Yes, true. Which is really, really fascinating to me because I'm not one of those people. Mm. That, that to me, I think is weird. <laughs> now, now, when I read scripture, I do my best not to consider and think, oh, like, I have no idea what the Lord looked like, so why should I even try to form it? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I think of other things. I think yeah. of, you know, like, what, I, what I've seen in some productions, um, which I don't think is necessarily as wrong, mm-hmm. um, is like showing sandals or shadow. Or, oh, right, yeah, You know, yeah. like... Something like that, and I'm like, right. okay, I'm, I'm, my conscience isn't as grieved by right. something like that, um, right? And that's what they did in uh, Ben Hur, yeah, right, where right. you got the main character and he's, he's falling down, and you just see the water pitcher extended to him, and then you see a shadow, mm-hmm. and it's obviously heavily implied that that is Jesus, right? Um, but you don't see a, I mean, I don't know, let's. That's a conscience issue there too. Yeah. It's like it, it's a shadow. Sure. I I know that they're trying to say that it's Jesus. Right. Um. But a, a face is not appearing on the screen. Right. I don't know if that can if that production decision, where that came from. Right. Like, was that just for the dramatic the dramatics of it, or did somebody actually say, "Hey, maybe we should"? Well. Right. I mean, at the time, I, I guess there so. were there were plenty of Hollywood movies that had no problems right. casting an actor in the role of Jesus. But so, so like from like I don't know I don't we're not trying to bind the conscience of any of our yeah, listeners. No. But that is something that I do when I'm reading. I don't I don't try to imagine because I do I think in word I think in pictures whenever I think mm-hmm. um, sometimes I think in just words but mm-hmm. some, a lot of times there's pictures involved. Right. And so I do my best to when it comes to stories about Christ in the Bible, I try to image those uh, away from, mm-hmm. you know, Christ. Yeah. So going away from that and, and focusing on, okay, uh, the fishermen or the, uh, the, the things around whatever's being described. Right. Um, rather than Christ. Yeah. Cause I will see him one day. Yes. And I'm, 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 it's every Sunday we get to hear his voice from mm-hmm. the pulpit and it is the sweetest joy for me. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to be so concerned about what he looks like. Right. Yes, we'll find out. Yeah. All in good time. Um, one of the other um, points of dispute was what did the early church do? Mm. So it's the a good ac- thing to look at. Yeah. So the iconoclasts could look at it and say it's like before the fourth century, like all of the church fathers come down on our side. Like yep. everybody said, no, you can't do this. Yep. Um, I thought there was this was interesting. The iconodules. Part, part point two unwritten tradition so like okay sure you guys have the written tradition but we have the unwritten tradition like well how do you yeah how that's, do you know about it then <laughs> and and one Gnosticism. thing yeah <laughs> well i mean they point to they do point to eusebius who uh, apparently wrote you know and i guess we we should ask uh jeff pastor jeff riddle yeah. about that you can go back and listen to it we did two episodes with him on eusebius we didn't get into this specifically we didn't but I bet he would know. Oh, yeah. I bet he would know. Um, so Eusebius is supposed to have written something about the use of icons in the church before the 4th century or very early. Uh, but he himself was opposed to icons. So he kind of questioned, like, well, is that... Maybe it's maybe it's like, well, that's a, uh, a source that is doesn't come down on our side. So if he says that it was happening, then you can, you can trust that it was accurate. So that's early church practice. And this was the one that I thought that was the most interesting point of dispute. Um, was a dispute over 
the the incarnation. Yeah. So both the iconoclasts and the iconoduals accused each other of the heresy of monophysitism, mm-hmm. which again is that the idea that Christ Jesus, had one nature. Yes, only one nature rather than two. Right. So how can they both be accusing each other of the same heresy? So it's interesting. It, and when we think about it a little, a little bit, you're like, okay, I see how that makes sense. The, so the iconoclasts would have said that by using the images, using the icons, you're actually you're denying the two natures of Christ because if you depict him in any tangible form, you're eliminating his divine nature. Correct. Because you can't represent the divine nature Correct. on a painting or a carving in or what have you. Right. Yeah. It can't be represented in any physical form. Right. God is a spirit. Yep. So um, they would say, well, that's how you're denying the two natures. On the other side of the argument, the iconophiles say that, well, you're denying that uh, Jesus's human nature can be represented graphically. Mm-hmm. So if you say, no, you can't, you can't make a picture of Jesus, you can't make a picture of Jesus's human form, well, you're, you're denying his humanity. Right. Which is not quite, I don't think that's quite what the argument was. Right. Although, as you pointed out earlier, it's like you actually don't know what he looks like. Right. Um, so but you're yeah, creating, a, I mean, in, in any way, you're lying. You're, you're, you're creating something that does not look like him, mm-hmm. and you're calling it him. Right. That's, yeah. that's a lie. Yeah. Right. I mean, even actors today, they do their best to try to resemble the person that they are portraying. Right. right. If they're talking about a historical person, they do their absolute best to try to yeah. present him and uh, true to his form. Mm-hmm. And we just can't do that. So nope. anything you present is going to automatically be a lie. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear the iconoclasts have the better they definitely have they win that argument now there were uh you know one like one person that i know and absolutely love uh who is before the lord now in heaven uh rc sproul kind of took this same position um that christ had a human nature and because mm-hmm. he had a human nature we can resent we can present his human nature mm-hmm. um and that he but he only made that exception for the person of christ and that was it right um he wouldn't allow for any other kind yeah and it really does come down to even if even if we did have pictures that survived you they cannot represent that divine nature like you said so right because and by doing that you by creating a picture you're you can't avoid separating the two natures right it's like this is the physical nature and there's divine nature is off somewhere else we can't do that like um and we talked about this um, when we talked about the Chalcedon, yeah. yes, and we talked about it on on episode twenty five and also on episode five, yeah, just to to give the um, the relevant portion, it says this one and the same Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, must be confessed to be in two natures, unconfusedly, immutably, indivisibly, inseparably united, and that without the distinction of natures being taken away by such union but rather the peculiar property of each nature being preserved and being united in one person and subsistence, not separated or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten, God the Word, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets of old time have spoken concerning him, and as the Lord Jesus Christ has taught us, and as the creed of the fathers has delivered to us. Mm. So Amen. you can have your icons or you can have the definition of Chalcedon, I think. Right. But you can't you can't really do both. Right. Uh, well, I mean, obviously the, the Eastern Orthodox Church does not agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they, you know. 
but I leave it to the listener to decide what you think about that. And so, there's, there's also some other stuff that's relevant to that that's kind of a big uh, discussion these days also concerning the deity of Christ, his divine nature and his human nature and how they are separated when, you know, depending upon how one parses out a certain passage in Philippians. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, good thing to go read the uh, Chalcedonian definition. Yes, go absolutely. read all of it in its entirety. It's not that long. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah. Just, it's, just, it's just a wonderfully rich and, and precise way to speak about our Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're fortunate to be, um, to have a confession of faith at our church that deals with this pretty, pretty plainly and pretty yeah. straightforwardly. Um, in the Second London Baptist Confession, this is chapter two, paragraph one. Um, the second half of, it, half of it says, "But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by Himself, and so limited by His own revealed will, that He may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men, mm. nor the suggestions of Satan, under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures." Mm. So you've got both Amen. the regulative principle there and yep. also no pictures. Yes. Yes, very clear. Uh, and that's good. I'm, I'm very grateful for the confession because it does. Uh, they, Our brothers, uh, our forebears in the faith have left us a very good and precise uh, mm-hmm. confession of faith. Yeah. Um, so... Um, Want to go through some of the canons? At least the first, like, let's see. The first, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what first you, five. To get a flavor here. Yeah. So, canon one from the Second Council the promulgated 22 canons relating to points of discipline, which may be summarized as follows. Canon one the clergy must observe the holy canons, which include the apostolic, those of the six previous ecumenical councils, those of the particular synods, which have been published at other synods, and those of the fathers. Canon 2. Candidates for a bishop's orders must know the Psalter by heart Mm. and must have read thoroughly, not cursorily, all the sacred scriptures. Mm. This was back when there was no... What were they reading? Uh, Either the Greek or, or Latin? Yes, I mean, probably, yeah. probably Latin by then. Yeah, it'd be time for the Vulgate, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I didn't know the Psalter by heart. Mm. That's amazing. Uh, Canon 3 condemns the appointment of bishops, priests, and deacons by secular princes. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm on board with that. Uh, Canon 4 bishops are not to demand money of their clergy. Any bishop who, through covetousness, deprives one of his clergy is himself deposed. Canon 5 is directed against those who boast of having obtained church preferment with money and recalls the 30th apostolic canon and the canons of Chalcedon against those who buy preferment with money. Hmm. Canon 6, oh wait, no, Canon 7 is the one that's interesting. Ah. Uh, Relics are to be placed in all churches. Hmm. No church is to be consecrated without relics. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I was like, man, I don't remember my church growing up. Maybe it did have one. I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, I mean, this is, Roman Catholic Church is probably still, you yeah. know, abides by all of this. Right. Got to have a lot of relics. Yeah. Here's another interesting <laughs> one pertaining to this. Uh, canon number nine. 
All writings against the venerable images are to be surrendered, to be shut up with other heretical books. Hmm. We're doing it. We're doing a total, a complete 180 and reversing course on this. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. That is, uh, that is interesting. And it's interesting to me that it wasn't really, at the time, it wasn't such a, a, a big issue for the church in the West. And now they've kind of gone farther than the um, Eastern church yeah. even wanted to go. Where they, I mean, wrongly, but sincerely said, well, icons are fine, but carved images are not. So you don't have, I mean, and you can find um, whole videos of Eastern Orthodox services if you want to watch one and see what it's like. And I mean, the walls are covered with icons. Yeah. But if you've, um, if you've been in some Catholic churches, or particularly if you've been to uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, um, which I had the chance to go there when we did a study abroad program, and it's a magnificent piece of architecture, and it's full of idolatry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, tremendously artistic sure. uh, works of art. Yeah, um, that are just these intricately carved things. But then you look at, uh, I mean, one of the famous ones is the Pieta, which is um, Mary holding the body of Jesus yeah. after the crucifixion. Um, and but yeah, they have the stations where you can go and light the candles. It's it's obvious if you stand there for about five minutes or, or less than that. Yeah, what people are doing when they come up to these statues. Right. Um, so they've. I mean, I don't think we have many Roman Catholic listeners. Yeah, I wouldn't. Think Probably so. not. They yeah. have left long ago. Yeah. If they did. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, they. So the pendulum swung all swung all the way from. Well, let's have these pictures to help us focus our worship to just, you know, it's, can we just say it's idolatry? Yeah. I mean, that's what it boils down to and, for and a honestly, lot of people. And the, within the Roman Catholic Church, there is, an, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a problem that is uh, confined to the Roman Catholic Church. Right. I mean, this right. is a problem within a lot of churches. Yes. Many folks just have no understanding of why things are done mm -hmm. in that church the way they are done. Yes. I mean, you have an order of worship or a liturgy. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, why do we do it this way? Right. A great majority of people wouldn't be able to tell you why. Yeah. And it, it, you know, so that's that's one of the problems, which mm -hmm. ultimately will lead to people filling in the blanks because that's what we want to do. We want to have answers, and so right. by, you know, oh well, we always do this. Well, why do we do? Oh, it must be that this is the. I mean, we're supposed to worship it. Right. We're supposed to, you know, have reverence yeah. and and bow and and get on mm -hmm. our knees and do all these, you know worshipful things um <clears throat> so yeah it's you know we have to be mindful of that we need to be good stewards of the faith that the lord has given to us mm -hmm. and so we have to practice that carefully yeah absolutely not being ones uh presumptive in how we do that mm -hmm. right like the uh can't remember the guy the name of the guy who he had a funny name uzza mm -hmm. who stuck out his hand yes yes uh, uzza Right, yeah. like to catch the art. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to do yeah. something good. Yeah. No, don't. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you think your your sinful hand yeah. is better than God's dirt. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's what it, kind of what it boils down to. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a great example. One more, one more canon. Here. Yeah. Canon, the very last canon. This one is also very interesting. Okay. Among the laity, persons of opposite sexes may eat together. Provided they give thanks and behave with decorum, hmm. 
but among religious persons, those of opposite sexes may eat together only in the presence of several God-fearing men and women, except on a journey when necessity compels. Hmm. It's just an, that, that to me seems like why did that have to get put yeah, in there? That's interesting. So actually, the the Billy Graham rule goes yeah. back to the second yeah. council of Nicaea. <laughs> exactly. There you go, guys. Long tradition. It's just, exactly. just it's, it's not just history. Mike Pence. That's right. It's church <laughs> history. We should observe decorum. Yes. And make sure that we don't leave any room for folks to assume things again, because we are in our human nature yeah. desire to fill in the blanks. Like yes. And, and this is this is actually you know quasi relevant. Uh, <laughs> the uh, there's a certain trial that's getting a lot of publicity right yeah. now, and one of the lawyers is a woman, and, the, mm -hmm. and you know the the plaintiff is a man, mm -hmm. and so there's you know she's been seen you know putting her hand on his shoulder. Right. And it's like, they must be in a relationship. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's how. That's all it takes. Oh, yeah. You, you gave him a hug and you smiled at him. Right. They're in, they're now you know in love or something. It's right. Like, Come on, man. Yeah. But that's what that's what humans do. Mm -hmm. That's what we do in yep. our in our silly little minds. It likes to fill in the blanks. Yep. So don't make any kind of provision for that whatsoever. Right. Which is why I hate the whole term of work wife or work husband. Yeah. Don't do that. Be like Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Have you ever seen pictures? Yeah. Of him? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not can, going to. I'm not touching you. You can always see where yep. his hand is. Yep. And it's not touching any woman Absolutely in any picture. Not. And that's just. Smart. Uh, that's wisdom. Yeah, that's absolutely. wisdom. Yeah, I don't that's know if wisdom. he's following the Second Council of Nicaea, right. Blast Cannon, <laughs> right. but uh, somebody somebody gave him some wisdom at one point. Yeah, amen. So that is the Second Council of Nicaea. Yeah. So hopefully we've uh, given people some information they didn't have before, and maybe yeah. given them some things to think about. The seventh council, seventh ecumenical council, and the yes. last one recognized by a majority of the Catholic. Uh, the church Catholic will lowercase c. Yes, little c. Little c, yeah. Yes. And I don't think we would. Yeah. Our confession doesn't really allow us to yeah. acknowledge yeah. that, the, right. the canons of that, yeah. you know. Yep. Or at least not all of them. I think right. probably some would be like, yeah, I probably agree with that. Right, yes. Well, good deal. Yeah. Um, remember to uh, check us out on servantsandheralds.com. Yes. Um, that's where you can find some of our episodes as well as Script V Manuscript and the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast. I think their last episode, uh, they talked about the new Batman movie. I want to hear them talk about the um, the moon. Moon. What's his name? Moon Knight? Moon Knight. That's oh, it. Moon Knight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they've done one on that. But they need to. This fellow's yeah. got uh, DID. Oh, interesting. It is very interesting. Oh, that does. Yeah. So maybe have to, we'll have to call up Jeff and Jared. I think they're a little busy now oh, yeah. with uh, SBC annual meeting stuff. Yeah, but yeah, maybe yeah, in yeah. maybe in July they'll have some, some free some time. Some free time, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So that's one. Uh, yeah. And I don't remember what the last one for Script V Manuscript was, but I'm sure it was good. I think it was a movie I wanted to see before I heard him talk about it. Because uh, um, I, I, I hadn't seen book. the Batman one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's it. Uh, check us out on... Oh, actually, that's not it because we had a, a review and I wanted to read it. Let me pull that up. We enjoy getting reviews and if you leave us a review on iTunes... Excuse me. It's Apple Podcasts now. Keeps right, on iTunes. Right. Then maybe we will read it during the episode, especially if you give us five stars because I'd love to see that. Um, and this one is from... 
Alex Monseth. So I guess Alex. Um, but he, he his review is titled, Needed! Exclamation point. Oh, excuse me, it's, it's four stars. <laughs> but I'm going to read it anyway, yeah. Alex. Um, uh, Alex writes, really good info. We need more podcasts like this. Audio is a little tough. Gets really loud and quiet. Other than that, great job. Yes. So um, if the audio is off, that is me. <laughs> and, and most likely that is probably due to us not being in person. Oh, yes, that right. does so, happen. That's a so lot harder when, to do whenever sometimes. we do the uh, interviews through Skype or uh, Zoom, yeah. it's a lot harder to get a good quality sound from that. So yeah. we apologize for that, but uh, we'll try to make sure that we'll do any future. <laughs> as as often as we can, we want to do everything in person, yes. but sometimes we just can't. So. Yeah. Well, thanks, Alex, for that review. If you like what you hear and you want to let us know, then please feel free to, to drop a review. And uh, we'll look forward to doing that and look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for stopping by.